Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And we spread our wings far and wide to get you the best guests possible every single evening. And tonight is no different. Normally, I do a whole spill about who we're talking to, what they're all about, and introduce them. But tonight, I'm going to do it slightly differently. I'm obviously going to introduce our guest by his name, Bevan Oshka. Bevan, welcome to the show. Tell us your story before I ask you all the questions I have for you. On the 12th of August, 2015, I met my mom and dad in Hootsprate um, for a lunch. I came up from Joburg, and uh, after meeting them for lunch, well, I had to leave. But that would be the last time I would sit with my mom and dad for lunch. But worse than that, it would be the last time I would ever remember them because 20 minutes later, I was involved in a hit and run and I suffered a brain injury, a TBI. And part of the brain injury was I lost all my long-term memory. So, yeah, that was probably the saddest part of this accident. Um, When I woke up from my coma seven weeks later, I didn't know anyone there and they had to introduce me to my children. Um, so yeah, that's in a nutshell, I had a, a tragic accident, um, but I'm up and I'm strong and I, I've refused to stand down and stand in the corner because you got to try harder. You got to get up. You got to, you, you have to, because if you don't, nobody's going to, everyone's going to help you, but they can only help you for so long. And, you know, I, I, I got this message, um, in a weird way, it seems as if God has given me another chance, a chance to perhaps motivate others, be an inspiration to others. Those two who have fallen can can see my story and say, wow, if he could get up, then they can get up too. Um, yeah, after I would woke up from a coma about a year later, I was introduced to Justin Jeffries, and he's been helping me like he's been my light in a dark in a dark place, and uh, about a week after I was, he was my biochemist. He introduced me to to a great man, he, the uh, Dennis Tabakin was the president of the South African chapter of Achilles International, which is the largest uh, disabled running club in the world. Now, with this, um, I was offered an entry into the New York Marathon which I accepted, not knowing that it's 42 kilometers. I mean, I've never <laughs> done that. Um, But before I did this marathon, there were two conditions. I have to finish it, and I have to pay it forward. I've got to help another one with a disability to get through another New York marathon, uh, which I did. During the marathon, I, I got to about 18 kilometers, and through my accident, I, I also broke and damaged 12 parts of my body, uh, both ankles, both knees, uh, my hip, and my pelvis, which which would come to haunt me at those 18 kilometers. Um, I got into the second medical tent. They told me my race is over. They, they've called the ambulance. And at that stage, two major decisions had come to my mind. The first one was that I don't want to go into this tent. But I had to. I, I was pretty broken. And the second the second decision was the easiest decision in my life was to get out of this tent and finish the marathon. Um, 
I raised all the money on Facebook to get there because I can't work anymore. And I wasn't going back to Joburg uh, with everybody saying, oh, you tried your best. I wanted to get to Joburg with my medal and have finished the marathon. I struggled on for the next, I don't know, 20, 22 kilometers. And about 200 meters before the finish, I saw that line and I knew I'd done it. I'd paid it forward. <laughs> Sorry, Unbelievable. Um, oh, I'm sure you do. Um, you know, you, you, you talk about you were in a coma, but it wasn't just being in the coma. You had other serious physical disabilities when you came out of the coma as well. Yes, one of the big ones was my right arm. They were going to amputate it. Uh, but after many operations, over 20, they managed to save it. Another bad injury was my pelvis. Um, and while I was lying in my coma, uh, you know, it kind of healed a bit. But as soon as I stood up and started walking, everything just split and broke. I healed in a prone position. And once I stood up, yeah, that, that would be a, a big challenge for me to, to, run, a new, to run a marathon knowing that my body was really, really broken, but I soldiered through. And the biggest tragedy in life is when a person gives up. And I had to keep to this because it's easy to talk, but you, you gotta you gotta you know, you gotta talk the talk and walk the walk. So yeah. So before before the accident, Bevan, did you ever run any long distances? Were you athletic at all? Never. I think I've probably done in school and stuff, but I've never run a marathon. I've, I don't think I've ever run past five kilometers. And the reason why I started running was in Justin's practice, uh, he started me running because running helps with my balance. I'm very off balance. And that's when they, they, they heard about this guy that, that's trying his best and, and he won't give up. And that, that's why I got the entry into the New York Marathon. When we look back, and I clearly understand the emotions that must go through you, there must have been a time, I know now hindsight's a perfect science, but there must have been a time with all these injuries lying in a coma. You know, most people, and, and I don't say this with any disrespect, they don't make it. They don't come through. What do you think it was that actually gave you that inspiration or that will to live because you were genuinely on your last breath? Um, while, whilst I was in my car, I was slipping in and out of consciousness. And they, um, one of the difficult things my wife had to do was sign the papers for them to turn off the machines because they said I'd be kind of a vegetable if I ever did wake up. And the morning staff, at the Mole Park Hospital, we're turning the machine off at 7 or 8. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And that was my first lifeline, I think, uh, for me to understand that there was a bigger picture for me. Um, perhaps God had, had chosen me to, to continue my life. And my life now is about giving. If I can make one person smile or just get through a hard day in their life, that's worth more than all the money in the world. And, you know, money is a problem for me. I, I can't work. I haven't worked. But it's not the biggest problem. You find a way. You find a way just to just to get through each and every day. So, yeah, I wake up every morning with difficulties. Uh, no memory. My body's in pain. But I've woken up. And I'll wake up every morning to fight another day. When I watch the sunset, 
it's a beautiful moment because I know I've made it through the day. And when I watch the sunrise every morning, I know I've made it through the night. And it's another day to fight hard, fight on and get up. I think also, Bevan, when people go through the experience that you've gone through, um, many people don't realize that as much as you are suffering in terms of the physicality of the injuries, there must be some remarkable people around you who are able-bodied but are suffering, if not more than you, not necessarily physically, but mentally. You must have a great support structure around you. Um, I do have my two kiddies, my wife stood by me for seven years um but then i met two amazing women and they've given me the ability to 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 continue because i must say the last six months have been so difficult for me i've been alone and you know when you have a brain injury uh there's no one around you you're a different person you know and when i met these two ladies they gave me so much hope they've got me back on my feet um you know, I always say also, I was never an athlete. I never, I never ran, but that was now my mission. And you can't give up. You just got to keep going. And, and if I keep going, if I do my best, uh, I always say also the most important person in your life is you. Because if you can't be strong, how are you going to make others strong? Um, there's also, you got to look at, a way that motivates me is there's someone always worse off than me. And from me being better off, I can help them through a dark hole. And I have and I do. And that's how I get through through my days is that someone out there needs a little bit. And if I can give that little bit, it's all worth it. So you obviously mentioned that you're unable to work. And, and I know you humbly say money isn't a problem. Well, I mean, money is always a problem if you don't have it. Um, but tell us how you managed to get, well, let's put it this way, from Hoodspray to Johannesburg to run the New York Marathon. I mean, many able-bodied athletes who've got all the money in the world don't get the opportunity to run the New York Marathon. I was given the opportunity once I started by Biokinetics. Justin Jeffries is very well connected to Achilles. Um, he he made me a beneficiary of his trust, or TNT, it's Trojan's Neurological Trust. He specializes in brain and spinal injuries. And through the trust, through TNT and Justin Jeffries, I found myself and I found a reason to motivate people. I mean, that is an, an amazing uh, maybe talent I have or have found is just people see me and they think, wow, um, he did it, and and that motivates me. Every single day I'm motivated when, when I can bring just a smile to somebody. What's amazing in many of the conversations that we've had on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room, where we've spoken to able-bodied athletes, disabled-bodied athletes in particular, we spoke to the world golf champion, blind golf champion, and we spend a lot of time talking to one or two marathon runners and so on. It always seems that somebody with a disability has an extrasensory perception of some sorts. Um, in your case, what would you say that is? It's my non-give-up attitude. Um, I ran the New York Marathon. Um, I was doing a time under five hours, but then everything broke. Um, but I, I continued. I got out that tent. Eventually, when I finished the marathon, my knees and hands were so bloody from falling but the pain wasn't there. The, the pain was about me not finishing it and letting people down. Um, you know, 
in the 2017 New York Marathon, I finished it. You know, it took me six hours, 54 minutes, a few minutes before the cut of time. But I found out that 3,000 other people, able-bodied people, couldn't finish it. So perhaps someone that's trained all his life to do the marathon, an avid runner, just couldn't do it because of or whatever. But I finished it. And, uh, you know, I'll take that. And I did it again and I finished it again. I've also done the 94.7 challenge twice. I seem to do everything twice because my memory is so bad, I forget the first time. But uh, <laughs> So uh, I do it yeah. again. I love the sense of humor when reading the article. Um, you, you say that you joke about the fact that your lift didn't go to the top floor. I guess humor is always a part of a healing process for somebody with a disability as well. All the body more the, the disabled bodied athletes I've met almost everyone to a T takes their disability quite humorously uh, you do the same thing always always because I can sit in the corner and cry about me and say oh you know why did this happen to me but if I smile if I'm with somebody talking to them and I know they have a disability and they're struggling when I smile they smile back at me and and just that smile it's a mental thing. It's It helps you through little bits of hardship because you can smile. Everybody can smile. Um, and I guess a person with a disability um, has gone through, they should have been knocked down and perhaps died or whatever, but they haven't. So perhaps people with disability understand that they've been given a second chance, that they have to carry on because if they don't, You've got to be stronger. You've got to be stronger than the person that doesn't have a disability that gives up so quickly because they haven't, they don't understand what it's gone through to be alive. There's a saying that you normally see on the Land Rover, it says, one life, live it. I'm living my life. I'll be given a second chance and I'm living it. I don't have any much long-term memory. So all my life is gone, but I always say that it's okay because I'll make new memories and it's it's incredible what you're saying because, again, having spent some time and why I say I have some form of understanding of disabilities, my brother-in-law was in a very serious a motorboat accident and nearly lost his life and did, in fact, lose his leg. And he always talks about, and when I'm with him and I'm around friends who are disabled at golf tournaments and whatever, they all talk about they won the jackpot by just being alive. Second prize was dead. Um, you live by that theory as well, that you actually hit the jackpot, even though people will look at you and most probably a lot of them will go, oh, shame, look at that poor bloke. In the meantime, you're thinking, no, not our oh, shame, look at this poor bloke. Hey, I'm still here. I believe one about two or three years after my accident, I was sitting on my bed and this voice spoke to me. I don't know if it was just my imagination, but this voice told me that I've been telling you all your life I've given you a purpose and you're not listening to me. So I created this accent for you so that now you can listen to me. And I've listened because, like I say, it, when you can help someone or you can bring a smile to someone, it's worth more than any money because it's something that I can do. Um, I talk a lot. I always joke about, I talk so much I can talk a glass eyeball to sleep. But I've directed that into into a positive way where that gives me hope and it, it gives me satisfaction to know that I'm here, I'm alive, and I can help somebody up. It doesn't have to be somebody that's 
has a disability. It can be somebody that's got a great job. He may lose something one day and he cannot get up. And he can just listen to my story and think, wow, if he can do it, I can do it too. That's my passion is just to live, to live my life to the best of my ability. Um, I wake up every morning and I watch the sunrise and I think, wow, I'm alive. I'm in pain. I also say that one day my pain will go away. That's the day when I go to sleep and I never open my eyes again. Um, but it's okay because when I feel the pain, I know that I'm alive. Yeah. What reaction do you get like when you ran the New York Marathon and you cycled 94.7? What are the crowds like on the side of the road? I mean, it must be huge inspiration for you when they yell and they scream and they shout. Or do they? I mean, or do they just look at you as if you're just another runner? I had to go get to New York sort of 10 days before the race started so I can get used to the crowds. Because a brain injury, noises and too much activity, it doesn't work well for me. But when we started running... I had two guides on the in the New York Marathon. They wrote my name on my shirt. And as I ran, people were saying, go Bevan, go Bevan. And I thought, how the heck did they know my name? <laughs> then only afterwards did I realize in big black cokey, they wrote my name on my shirt. And it's so amazing to run past all these thousands of people and they're cheering you on. Go Bevan, go Bevan. And, and yeah, it's I don't want any special treatment or anything, but on that day, um, I got it from all these people standing on the sideline. And it was so special to me because I had two guards with me, just guiding me and, and helping me along. But I did it. I did it on my own. No one carried me. I, I ran 42. And don't forget the point two, <laughs> because yeah. they say that last 200 meters starts to really eat you up. But when I saw the finish line, I was so motivated. And as I came to the finish line, on the sides of the finish line, there were there were stadiums all. And they just cheered me on. And they stood up and they clapped and they clapped. And when I crossed that finish line, they put their medal over me. Wow. I knew that the part of that journey, I had to soldier on. I had to get through. And I did. Wonderful. You talk about your name on the T-shirt when you ran in, in New York. Tell us about your other favorite T-shirt. What's on that T-shirt? I'm wearing now, I don't know if you can see it, it says the New York Marathon finisher. And you can only wear this T-shirt if you finish that New York Marathon. Um, so I wear it quite regularly. Um, also, I've got two medals, New York Marathon medals. And I wear them. I cannot drive, so when I come up to visit my dad and go back to Joburg, I catch the shuttle bus. And people in there, I met one man that's tried all his life to do the New York Marathon and he couldn't. And he spoke to me for five hours asking me how was it. And I could explain to him he's never met another finisher of the New York Marathon. And he was in awe of, of how I ran it and completed it. And he, he, at the end, he said to me, thank you very much for explaining your story, for, for describing the whole race. And I, I think, I mean, that's an amazing thing where, where an avid runner can speak to me and say, wow, this disabled man finished what he couldn't do. So, yeah, it's inspiring for me. What about the T-shirt that says impossible, I'm possible? Oh, yes, impossible. If you break the word impossible up and you break it up, it says I'm possible. And, yeah. You know, I am possible. Anyone is possible if they put their mind to it. Um, another great T-shirt I have, it says, I'm right here where I left me. <laughs> <laughs> so 
my wife always says same, same, but different. I'm the same person, but I'm different. And that difference is, is a good difference because, yeah, it's who I am. And, and I'll keep trying. I set myself a lot of challenges. My next challenge is I want to do the half Ironman. And then after that, I want to try to complete the full Ironman. Um, yeah, I, most of my body is a bit broken, but when I swim, there's not much pain. And, you know, I can swim three kilometers easily. And that's given me the motivation to, to complete my first half Ironman. And I'm going to, I will do it. So for somebody who at the beginning of the interview said that they have no memory of anything, you seem to have remembered a hell of a lot to tell me in this podcast. Well, when I came out of my coma, my neurospecialist told me and my wife, in the, I guess the best way he could, he says, you're a grown man that has a brain of an infant. I explain it to people when you, you work and you go home and you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning and you wake up as a baby first day of your life that's what I was and um yeah you know something I would say is I had to be potty trained again because I didn't know I didn't know what it was and that would soon stop and my memory has come back a lot but I did argue with with the neurospecialist saying I remember everything but truth is I don't I will look at my laptop I open it and I've got this whole collage of pictures and I say I know that I know that next day but I actually don't um so my whole life is recorded on pictures and videos and I watch them and I see them and I've got those memories so yeah it's okay uh, because I always say I'll create new memories my memories got so much better uh but yesterday is generally faded away but when I think really hard and I sit down it, it comes back to me. So tomorrow you might not remember me saying to you are you going to win the Comrades Marathon one day? I won't remember the small details but I will remember <laughs> the interview. I, I've done a few motivational talks that was before Corona uh, but yeah. then I was I used to slur and drool and but I used to get standing ovations and I know now that once I met Janet and Cheryl, they put me into this position, and I'm so ready to continue on my journey. My life's not over yet. It's just started. And if I wake up every morning thinking my life has just started, that's good enough for me because what will I do today? How am I going to achieve a goal today? And whether it's a small goal or just remembering something from my past, I'll take that because it's it's there. It's coming back. Yeah. Bevan. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Great inspiration. And I'm sure everybody who's been listening to this is going to take something out of it. If they don't, they're not human because it's just the most amazing, wonderful power of positive thinking. And I commend you and I thank you for your time. And we wish you absolutely all the best. And every time you decide to take on a challenge, whether it's a half marathon, half Ironman, full Ironman, we'd love to hear about it. And we'd love to chat to you again. Thank you very much. I just want to leave with one thing. I've said this before, but a great saying that everyone should remember is the biggest tragedy in life is when you give up. So don't give up. If you fall, stand up and try again and again and again. And one day you're going to achieve a goal by not giving up. And we're almost at the 180th podcast. And every time I leave you, I leave you with a thought. Be nice to each other. Until next time. Bye-bye.